0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back, and better than last week, we hope. Promise we won't be biting anybody's kneecaps off. But uh, we're going to recap the championship games, championship weekend. Very, very exciting. We've got the two teams, Mahomes and Brady, are going to end up in the Super Bowl. So that's uh, you know, stories in and of itself. We'll have another show before the Super Bowl, obviously. But uh, yeah, two great games. Alex, joining me today. What's going on, man? How are you doing?
1: Doing well. It was a couple of exciting games. I'm happy for you. Because, obviously, um, I should have listened to Teron Davenport, who was gracious enough to, to join us last week, and uh, he picked the Chiefs, and he picked them to to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, I went against the grain. I went, what, 0-2. It was fun betting on games. I never do it in real life, and uh, it was it was fun.
0: I'm sure you'll get into it. I can corrupt you and start pulling you to the dark side here.
1: Like you mentioned, I think for a regular football fan, just a person that really appreciates the the NFL and and loves watching these games on Sunday. You couldn't write a better ending for this crazy 2020-2021 season because in the Super Bowl in Tampa, we've got uh, the fresh young gun and Patrick Mahomes, who has already won the Super Bowl last year, and now we've got Tom Brady, who is going to be there his special, Tenth time, his tenth go around in the Super Bowl, and he's already won six of them. And according to Bovada Sportsbook, right now as we speak, the Kansas City Chiefs are minus three and a half over the Bucks. So that's the current spread. What do you think? I mean, you're more of an expert than I am. Do you anticipate that that line is is going to raise a little bit?
0: Well, it might move. You know, I think it might move down. Tampa's playing at home. Now, granted, the Chiefs beat him, uh, I think it was week 12. I think it was twenty-seven, twenty-four. They were up twenty-seven to ten, and Tampa scored a couple touchdowns to kind of tighten up the the final score. And I think the spread was about the same. I would have to believe with Brady and Brady getting there now, all those closet Brady fans, and then the not-so-closet Brady fans are going to come out, you know, gunning for Mahomes. So I I think it may drop down to three, but yeah, it remains to be seen. I, I'm kind of surprised that they, you know, it's three and a half actually. Again, this is a different season, but there will be fans there. It's the first time ever uh, the host city has their team playing in the Super Bowl. So uh, a lot of weird things. We talked a little bit off air about uh, just the the crowd and what that what that's going to be like. Uh, it'll be a little bit bigger than it was uh, again week twelve. I think there's twenty two thousand. Uh, is the supposed number at least that's the announced number uh, 7500 first responders who have been vaccinated also are you know being donated uh, seats by the NFL so I think that's a really good move give those people some recognition and I you know I hope they do on the air as well but, uh, yeah as far as the numbers concerned, I don't see it going up anymore, so it may back down half a point, but no more than that. I think it's three, three and a half. I think it'll it'll stay that way.
1: Obviously, we'll recap the Super Bowl next week, like you mentioned, but I wanted to talk about that Week 12 game. I'm sure you remember it well. I do. Even though the score was only three points in the end, the Chiefs kind of, they had complete control of that game from what I remember, and then... uh, you know, the Bucks started to, to storm back a little bit. Mike Evans, right, scored a couple of touchdowns. It, it was never that close as far as even if you look at that final score for the people that don't remember it.
0: No. Well, I think the the whole knock against the Chiefs the whole you know, second half of the season or maybe even longer was that, you know, all their games were close. No matter who they were playing, the games were within one score. And there's, well, you know, how good are they? They're not beating up on these teams they should be beating up on. Jeez, they just played Atlanta near the end of the season. That was the last time the starters played, and they barely won 17-14. to 14. But I got to tell you, Alex, and you go back and look at, you know, every playoff game that uh, Pat Mahomes has played in, it's like an avalanche. Or a tsunami, something. At some point during the game, they are going to hit you. I mean, and I'll date myself a little bit, but I almost liken it to like the, the Showtime Lakers with Magic Johnson leading the break, where it's just before you know it, they've gone on a 21 nothing run, and you're like, what the hell just happened here? And I think during the regular season, they tend to, like you say, maybe throttle back a bit. I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't. But in the playoffs, it seems like whether it's that second quarter like it was you know, just the other day against Buffalo. But But in most games, it just seems like they hit that stride and they hit you with a ton of points. And it's like just can't stop them and I, I hope this is unbiased because just from watching it and anybody watching it, yeah, they just get on this roll and it's like bang, bang, bang everything's working, the defense steps up, takes the ball away or forces some punts or you know, they holds teams to field goals, the, the offense is just clicking and I don't know if it's possible to, to maintain that over the, the space of four quarters it's probably impossible quite frankly, but there is that time where they just get on that roll, and in the first quarter, I don't know what Tyree Kill had over 200 yards receiving in that game in the first quarter, which typically it happens in the second quarter or later in the game. But they were playing him man to man. You know, God bless you know Todd Bowles for leaving his guys out there. But uh, yeah, the result was there, and that game, yeah, pretty much was not in question at the end. They let off the gas, and the final score ended up being by three. So it looks like, well, yeah, hey, you know, these teams are pretty, pretty even. We'll, we'll see. I mean, when they're in the playoffs, obviously they're dialed in for most of the game. So I, you know, it's just it's something to watch. It really is.
1: Against the Bills, I mean, Mahomes was sensational, uh, coming back from from the injury you having, dealing with that turf issue. I mean, the man was in a zone. And you mentioned, I mean, can anybody stop them? When you talk about that duo, and I'm talking about Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, I mean, they combined for 22 receptions for 290 receiving yards and two scores. So if you stop one guy, there's no way you're going to stop the second guy. It's, It's almost impossible. I mean, you have to have probably... To Deion Sanders on the football field in order to to slow these guys down because it seems like whenever you need that conversion on a key third down and you know you're looking at Tyree Kill or you're looking at Travis Kelsey and bang bang you're marching down the field and scoring the touchdown. But you know what surprised me the most is not that the Chiefs were on fire on offense. What surprised me is that the secondary, the Chiefs secondary did a very good job against the Bills' receivers, and that's something I didn't expect, even though Cole Beasley was banged up and he played. Gabriel Davis didn't play in that game, but who cares? The Bills were deep at receiver. It wasn't only Stephon Diggs because they had John Brown, they had Isaiah McKenzie. These guys stepped up. They played well when they were called upon during the regular season. Chiefs secondary is what surprised me uh, during the AFC Championship game.
0: Well, one of the more pleasant surprises of the year for them has been the play of Lejarius Sneed. I think he was a fifth round pick almost from day one. It was almost and like during training camp He kept hearing his name and he didn't play much the first few games, but then once he got going, it's like, you know, interception, interception. He was always around the ball, making plays. They're using him, you know, coming off the corner as as a blitzer where I don't know how he ended up like I think he had another sack in the championship game. He gets hurt. Then he came back after a few games and kind of picked up where he left off from. Juan Thornhill finally start after the ACL late last season. He's starting to look like he did at the beginning of his rookie season. And if he can play up to his potential with that's closing speed and, again, always being around the ball. Now, that free up the honey badger to kind of do his thing. Daniel Sorensen was on our list of unsung players weeks ago when we started this whole thing, and he always seems to be, you know, around the ball making plays. And Rashad Breland is who he is. You know, he he's going to be pretty sticky in man coverage in most cases. He'll stick his nose in there to to stop the run. He'll get beat occasionally. Charverius Ward, I think he kind of he peaked. I think I don't know if it was last year or whatever, and but he can come up with some plays occasionally. But yeah, Spagnuolo's got got those guys playing really, really well. That was really a pleasant surprise for me too. But those players, on an individual basis, have been lifting their game, and they lift the group. And um, Matthew just does a great job, kind of communicating and kind of running the show back there.
1: Were you worried, Lou, when the Bills took that lead, nine to nothing? Uh- Uh, They obviously kicked the field goal, (laughs) then they scored the touchdown, and it it looked like it was going to be one of those games that's going to be a shootout. I'm not saying that the Chiefs weren't going to score. You knew the avalanche, as you called it, would be coming. But the truth is, it looked like the Bills were ready to just score a lot of points on the Chiefs' defense the way it started early in the game.
0: Well, a couple of things. Ordinarily, I would say, yeah. I mean, it's a playoff game. I last year, I mean, in that Houston game, I was ready, I was ready to pack it in with like everybody else, they got down twenty four nothing. So, so seeing them come back on many occasions, I wasn't very worried in that respect. And then also the fact that you know they, Cole Hardman gave them the ball much as like I think Tyree Hill muffed the punt last year against against Houston gave them a short field short field meeting inside the five yard line and with all the time left and what's happened in the past I'd have to admit no I was I wasn't worried a little concerned because you're like oh geez here we go come on can we just get off to a decent start one time but but no to answer your question I mean no. Now, if you'd asked me that last season, I was scared to death. I didn't know that they would be able to come back, even though there was so much time left in the game against Houston. Yeah, things happened, and it rolled. But yeah, last week, not so much. I mean, if it would have been like six... They would have gone on a a couple of drives and really like... Moved that defense around and took them apart, then you get concerned. But you know, they had a five yard drive, the opening field goal drive. I would have to say, no, not really.
1: I guess what surprised me in the second half everybody makes adjustments, and the Bills just weren't able to finish drives offensively. They settled for field goals instead of touchdowns, and you knew especially against the Kansas City Chiefs, you need to score seven points. They couldn't afford to do it against the Kansas City, and they did. And that's where the Bills basically fell short. That Sometimes they needed to risk it a little bit more, I would say. I mean, they, they should have gone and tried to convert almost every time that they were in the red zone. I guess that's the point that I'm I'm trying to get to. You know that the Chiefs are clicking. You know that they're scoring points. You're trailing behind. You're not gonna win by kicking field goals. And I just felt like the Bills weren't they weren't risky enough for me, especially when you're just you, you have to go down kicking. If you lose, you know, fifty to, to nine, it doesn't matter if you don't convert those fourth down calls, but you have to go for them. And I just think that was that was the problem, kind of settling for those field goals and being too conservative, in my opinion.
0: Well, at, at this stage of the year, especially in championship games, the difference between the teams isn't that great. So in those situations, the bold will be rewarded. Or like you said, what difference does it make, right? I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that in the next game because I'm sure – Everybody has talked about that ad nauseum. The key here is that, again, it might be a little bit of championship game naivete. It's their first time there. Uh, McDermott's first time going through the playoffs this deep with his team. And they'll learn from this, and I think you'll see you know, this change next year. Unfortunately, you don't get a do-over in the championship game. You saw, I mean, Andy Reid. I mean, what, they were down 9 nothing the first time it was 4th and 1? There, You never saw any, there was never any question they were going for it. Uh, and they go down, eventually they score the touchdown. You got to know your team. You have to have an idea, a consistency, a, an aggressive nature. If you haven't done that to this point, it makes it hard to just say, okay, now we're going to go for it. Your team has to have that mentality. We want to go for it you know, wave off the punter, the the field goal kicker, whoever it is, and say, give us the best play, and we're going to go get this. And they didn't. I don't know that they win the game if they'd have gone for those fourth downs, if they make the fourth downs, who knows, but they would have had a much better chance. I agree with that for sure.
1: The over and under for the Super Bowl, and we're still a week and a half away from that game, is 56 and a half, the over and under on this game, according to Bovada.
0: I didn't do very well with those last week. I I, I really thought the teams might, might again the teams that haven't been there before would kind of you know shrink down a little bit. But first thing that came to mind was I was under on both games last week and like wow. Do you
1: think it's going to be a high scoring Super Bowl? Obviously, again we'll talk about it in more detail leading up to the game. Next I
0: gotta week. believe it is. I I really do. It's you know just the just the way the season has gone where these teams are the one thing that would hold me back in just the slightest bit is the chiefs offensive line now missing both starting tackles I don't see Mitchell Schwartz coming back. I mean, he's been gone since week six. I think since the first time they played Buffalo. And it's just the same thing. Well, it's day-to-day, day-to-day. Well, here we are, I don't know how many weeks later. So he's not going to play. Fishers definitely can't play with their torn Achilles. That's going to be, I think, the key to the game. And again, we'll discuss that more next week. But just on... That would be my only concern is that, you know, can the Chiefs protect Mahomes enough to get to score a lot of points because I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. So both teams are going to have to score a lot of points. I would I would still favor the over either way.
1: Let's talk about the other game, the, the NFC Championship game, which uh, raised a lot of eyebrows, especially at the end of the game. And I just want to ask you where you stand on this because the entire world – not only us, believes that who cares what your stat department, your analytics department says. I mean, everything says that you're down by eight points and you're kicking a field goal. You have to go for it because the worst thing that can happen is you don't convert. And then you're, you could get really good field position knowing that you've got three timeouts and you can stop the Tampa Bay Bucks. And you're getting the ball at like your 40 yard line. You could still march down the field. But what the Packers did was kind of beyond belief. I, I didn't think that any head coach in their right mind, especially anybody who was gotten to this point, to the NFC Championship game, was capable of of kicking the field goal in that situation and trusting his defense instead of going for it because you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game who's capable of making plays. To me, that was beyond belief. I mean, that was preposterous, Lou.
0: Yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, yeah, we can sit here and say, well, yeah, obviously they should have gone for it. But even in the situation, you got to be thinking, you need eight points to tie this game. Three okay, fine. Now a touchdown wins it. Granted, you do have you do have forced clock stoppages coming up. You got three timeouts, you're outside the two minute warning. Guessing that's what went into and LeFleur's thinking here. We're going to be able to stop them, we'll get the ball, we'll score, we win the game. Again, the bold are rewarded, and you can look. At this game, earlier in this game, at the end of the half, where Rogers throws the pick at midfield, which you know he never does, but there, there it was, you know, they, Tampa Bay gets the interception, they're up 14 to 10, whatever it was, fourth and three, and they went for it. Thirteen seconds left. They're at the plus forty-five. So really, you don't. You know, Thirteen. You know, you're not going to kick it. If he misses, then Green Bay gets the ball here. Maybe they have a chance to to get a field goal. You know, whatever. We're just going to go for it and take all all of that speculation out of it they get the first down they put some time back on the clock i think it had run down to 6 they put it back up to 8 and you're thinking well okay maybe a short pass we'll go for a field goal no he's going for the downs and that's where you know i don't know if this was a peten call I would imagine he's the defensive coordinator, leaving his man out there. But I guess my point in bringing that up is there they went for the jugular. They're up fourteen to ten. Instead of playing it conservative, let's go over the top. We don't care about kicking this field goal to make it seventeen to ten. Let's get the touchdown. And if he doesn't get it, we don't. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. So you go back to Lafleur's decision. The couple plays before is probably what concerned him the most. Is where the pass rush was getting there. It looked like Rodgers might have been able to make it on the third down run, but you had some defensive players around him. Maybe they run, who knows? So he ends up throwing it. You know, you can't, you're not going to lose trying to throw the ball to Devontae Adams. They don't get it. So now he's thinking what what the heck are we going to do here? What what am I going to call? I think maybe that was it is he didn't he didn't have enough confidence in a play in that situation to say let's go for it. But ultimately that was the decision to be made because like you said, worst case they don't get it, you still need a touchdown, but now you got them pinned inside their own 10 instead of kicking the field goal kicking deep. They get a decent run back. Now they're at the 30 or 35, and Brady has the ball in his hands. That's the end game right there. Brady has the ball in his hands at the end of a championship game. You lose. <laughs> that's just the way it goes. I saw it firsthand. It, it's not pretty. He had to score in that situation, but in this case, it was just, hey, make a couple of plays, couple of throws. Hey, we got to pass interference, which that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, LaFleur in that case... Yeah, for the rest of his career, I think if that ever happens again, he's going for it. He'll he'll never make that mistake again.
1: That was gutless. I'm listening to you, you know, explain and try to justify possibly his Well, decision. not justify.
0: I'm just to maybe getting it in his head. But right? I'm thinking to myself, "How can thinking. you
1: not have a play for that situation? You've been practicing all season. You know your players. I mean, Send Devontae Adams in motion. I mean, you know he's going to get double teamed. That means you got to go with somebody that you trust, the the secondary target. You know there was one play that stood out to me before that that field goal that they kicked on third and goal. Rodgers was rolling out of the pocket. It looked like he had an alley. I think Aaron Rodgers could have run it in for the touchdown. It was close. He threw it across his body. It, it was an incompletion right. in the middle of the field. In my opinion, the old Aaron Rodgers, maybe from a couple of years back, would take everything in his mind to just run it in into the end zone by you know doing a John Elway possibly leap into the end zone. It looked like the alley was there, and I was really surprised that he didn't take it.
0: Yeah, I mean I've seen, I've watched it play. I don't know how many times there are you know. Sue's like at, at, at the back of his feet. He's got some other defenders in front, of him, but but he also had receivers out there that could, you know, maybe they turn around and, and throw him a block. So, yeah, that, it would have been interesting to see if that was the decision he made, but he didn't. You know, I mean, he knows himself better than anybody. Maybe he's thinking that 35-year-old legs would have got him there, but 37, not so much.
1: Well, speaking of quarterbacks who are still there, who are going to be playing in the Super Bowl, uh, Bavada has the MVP odds, and no surprise, Patrick Mahomes is minus 120. And then Tom Brady is
0: plus 210.
1: Plus 210. He's plus 210. Plus you know what really surprised me? When the Packers got rolling in the third quarter offensively, because I want to remind our listeners, they were down 28-10 to 10 at halftime. And then they got rolling in the third quarter. Aaron Rodgers, the offense, they, they, they got it going a little bit. Then Brady started... You know, to kind of take a step back a little bit. The Packers were stopping him, right? In the fourth quarter, it just looked weird. I mean, Brady isn't converting those drives. He threw yeah. a couple. Well, of he picks. threw
0: he throws two. Yeah, he throws two interceptions, and the Packers go they go three and out on both. You know, it's like these situations that you're thinking: one, Brady's throwing interceptions. Like, what's going on with that? And then. The Packers don't take advantage. Yeah, I, it was it's just surreal. Because
1: Packers' defense stepped up in the second half. Say what you want. And I guess that that's part of the thinking by LaFleur that we're stopping them and we can stop them again and we'll get another shot. I have more faith in my defense in the second half than I do in my offense. But that was really weird. Here you have... Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be the regular season MVP, and he was struggling in the most critical situations of all time. And it's not only on him, we saw drop passes and critical situations by his receivers. O-line struggled in pass protection. I mean, they, they couldn't protect anybody. I get that David Bakhtiari is out and he's the, been their rock on on the blind side of Aaron Rodgers. But that duo, the, the Bucks duo, Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, I mean, they just terrorized Rodgers all game long. I mean, they, they combined for five sacks and 12 total pressures. They were in the backfield, it seems like, every time that Aaron Rodgers was dropping back.
0: Well, that was, I think, the difference in the game. I mean, forget about the situational decisions and just their failures. The key to this game was just getting that much pressure with their down four. I mean, Vita Vea came back, and not that he was a pass rusher, but he was trucking people in the middle of that line. And like you said, Barrett and JPP just coming off the edge. I mean, they were they were in the backfield all day. Now, again, Rogers. if you look at the statistics and you're a fantasy player, hey, he didn't have that bad of a game. You know, about three touchdowns, and he did have the one pick. Again, in those situations, and that's typically where these games are won and lost, where you need that play to extend the drive to make that, that score, that run into the end zone on third down or whatever it was, those plays didn't come, and that's why they lost. Brady made them. Now, Brady didn't have that great of a game statistically. Three interceptions. He did have three touchdowns, but he hit the plays that were critical. The, the deep ball to Scottie Miller was just a thing of beauty. He made the plays when he had to, although... Like you were saying, again, it was 28 to 23, and I had noted this, where he, they kind of got a little little conservative there. Second down pass. he had Godwin wide open, like, sailed it over his head, you know, towards the sidelines, guarding against... I guess what would have been his fourth interception, and then on third down they had a—I a, don't know if it was a screen or something—called, but he like he threw it in the dirt faster than I think he was, you know, trying to save the field goal there and get the eight-point lead. But they had their chances. They really, they really did. But uh, again, Rogers in those key moments didn't quite do what he'd been doing the whole season.
1: Bavara offers betters and players and industry-leading gambling experience, which is second to none, and they're just some weird prop bets uh, that just you and I talked about it off the air. I was surprised that it wasn't only about the game and about, like, who's going to score first and at what time, but they were doing prop bets about What the halftime show is going to look like? Who's going to perform? What are the odds on that? I was surprised on that that there's some people out there that are betting whether Drake is going to be singing or whether J Lo is going to be there or whether Justin Timberlake is you know is going to do another uh, surprise and pull his pants down this time, you know
0: easy <laughs> come on Alex. i know it's, this it's a family it's, a family, show. A, family it's show. a family show yeah you did mention a few and then for the kids out there doja cat you know will she be on stage bella hadid who i think was another name out there and then for some of you uh i guess smooth jazz listeners kenny g and I, if he has some kind of relationship with the weekend i don't know but uh yeah there are there are some some good ones out there and they're for you political people there are some of those too you know how many times will Trump be mentioned uh, how many times will Biden be mentioned how many times are we gonna get to see Giselle I think that's a good bet there
1: well like I said I mean Tom Brady is is in good hands because um, obviously during the the Green Bay Packers game Chris Godwin Mike Evans they combined for eight catches for 161 yards and they were able to get some of those downfield shots they they had four of 15 plus yard receptions and again Leonard Fournette showed up he had that 20 yard touchdown run to give the, the Bucks a lead in the second quarter he had another good game so it's not only about Tom Brady when Brady threw those three picks and when the Bucks offense kind of stalled in the second half the other guys picked it up and they were some unsung heroes and Tyler Johnson obviously got that bogus pass interference call. You mentioned Scotty Miller already. So the Bucks all-star team, the one that they assembled and I thought would eventually crumble under pressure somewhere, whether it's in the divisional playoff round or the NFC Conference Championship game, they didn't. Here they are. They assembled that all-star team. And Bruce Arians once again is in the Super Bowl with the 43-year-old Tom Brady. And if I would have told you this, Lou, that Antonio Brown was going to face off versus Le'Veon Bell in a Super Bowl, I mean, you'd call me crazy. I'm sure Steeler fans out there are saying, my God, I mean, we didn't expect those two boys to be in the playing in the <laughs> Super Bowl in Tampa.
0: They may not actually play, but yeah, I mean, they're obviously they're on opposing sides in this one. And uh, Brown got hurt. Levy and Bell—I don't know if he's been a healthy scratch. He was a little banged up, uh, but supposedly he's going to be uh, available for the Super Bowl. As will. S- Knock on wood, Sammy Watkins playoff Sammy. He always seems to come up and come up big in the big game. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Le'Veon and uh, and Antonio Brown. That would be a, an interesting prop bet. Do they shake hands after or before the game? <laughs> that should be an interesting. I didn't see bet. that. I didn't see that on their on the Bavada list.
1: You should send them an email and and recommend that prop bet. I mean, their they're research guys are, are not up to it. Let's talk about the Eagles. All last week, all we were saying was, this is Josh McDaniel's job. phillys is going to hand him this job. It makes sense because he's going to be the one to fix Carson Wentz. Well, that's not what happened. The Eagles pulled a fast one. I don't know if they couldn't agree with Josh McDaniels on, uh, on a monetary compensation or whatever that was, but they decided to go in a completely different direction. I told you off the air on Twitter. I was like, "Lou, who is this guy that the Eagles are hiring?" (laughs) So let the listeners know who the Eagles decided to go with eventually as their head man.
0: Well, he's a fairly young guy. He's been around. I mean, I think he played. He played at Mount Union, Division Three. Mount Union was a big-time wide receiver there. He actually grew up not too far from uh, from where I live. He's from upstate New York. So he come, he's come from, you know, small high school, small college, but he's kind of come up through the ranks. I think at, at a certain point, he was like a quality control assistant for Todd Haley back with the Chiefs. And that's kind of, that was when I first learned about him. And then, you know, I had some mutual friends that, that knew him in high school. So it's, uh, again, he's come up through the ranks. He worked with Reich. In San Diego, obviously worked with him in uh, Indianapolis as he came up as a wide receivers coach. As well, first off, as a quality control coach and all different positions on the offensive side of the ball. So, and maybe that has something to do with it. They liked what Reich did with. Carson Wentz, I don't know if that really gives him anything. Being told, you know, well, you know, Eric Bieniemy doesn't call plays. Well, I don't think Nick Sirianni's ever had a chance to call plays with Frank Reich in the building. I, was it that? Was it that with Mc? If it was him or McDaniel's, and McDaniel's kind of sees the handwriting on the wall where it's going to be kind of management heavy as far as his position and maybe Doug Peterson wasn't crazy and when he said I was just sick of being told what to do that I don't know that Todd was going to hang with that so I don't know if it was money or just the fact that he felt like maybe he wasn't going to have the control but in terms of Nick Sirianni we'll we'll have to see. He hasn't had that many opportunities to kind of be on his own and show what he can do and Anymore, it seems like they're giving some of these guys opportunities to do that. As a head coach, you're you're a coordinator. Next next stop is is head coach, even though you've never been a head coach at any level ever before. Not to say you can't succeed, but uh, yeah, Nick Sirianni that was that was a surprise for sure. Well,
1: it's just not a name that we heard. And but once jobs started filling up and head coaches started to to go to these different places and five of them already filled up and and Josh McDaniel's name was still out there. I mean Nick Seriani was just not in the building. Nobody was mentioning him. I it seems like the beat writers just ran with the Josh McDaniels narrative. They're like, okay, McDaniels is in there. Nobody else wants him. The Eagles do. There's mutual interest there. There's no way they're going to let him get out of the building. And next thing we know, it's it's Nick Sirianni. I was really surprised with, with all the names out there. The Eagles decided to go with not such an obvious choice. But there's a quarterback on the trade market which I'm surprised about because he's the one apparently asking for this trade. We're talking about Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions. I realized that they would eventually part ways. They they've got a new head coach in Dan Campbell. They've got a new GM and and it seems like Matthew Stafford is is done. In Detroit, he's asked the team to explore some of these options, and it seems like they're going to take it, and it seems like they're going to explore all the trade possibilities out there. What would you trade for Matthew Stafford? Would you give up a first-round pick for him, or a second-round pick is is the highest that you would go?
0: Again, it depends on your situation. I think a team like, let's say, the Colts, who kind of has... Every, just about everything in place except for the quarterback You know, it's not like they need to fill any holes with that first round pick now again it's a little bit later pick I think they picked 21st if I'm Chris Ballard I would feel comfortable making that move now, for a team that has a bunch of holes, which more than likely Stafford doesn't want to go to a team that has to rebuild, and he, obviously he's leaving that situation. I did make reference to biting kneecaps at the beginning of the, of the show. and That obviously alludes to their their new head coach, but that tells me they're going to be running the ball. They hired Anthony Lynn to coach their offense. They're going to run the ball. Tyrod Taylor is almost is tied... <laughs> you know no pun intended to Anthony Lynn whether it was in Buffalo in Los Angeles with the Chargers you know so that, I don't think it's going it's like something that we're breaking here that you can kind of connect the dots it, with all this stuff and then they would draft a, an eventual successor maybe Dan Campbell has anything to say about it maybe a, you know an offensive lineman or a pro wrestler I don't know but as far as that in that case with Indianapolis's first pick, yeah, I would trade the first round pick for Stafford because again, they think they're going to get like 4 or 5 years out of him. They they've got everything else. I don't want to say locked or they have like a complete all-star team around him, but they can afford to make that pick, afford him under the cap, and I think Detroit would be very happy with that situation.
1: I like that. Matthew Stafford is an upgrade over Philip Rivers at this point. So if Forever's was able to lead you into the playoffs, then I can assure you that Matthew Stafford can do the same with those play-action passes, and, and certainly the Colts need to improve their wide receiver position a little bit, but they've got everything else. They've got a good offensive line, that running game clicked, and they have a great defense, and, and Stafford has gotten better with turnovers and taking care of the football, and he certainly would be an upgrade there. Anybody else? I mean, are you looking? A lot of people are speculating that the Patriots or the San Francisco 49ers, do you see a fit with those two teams?
0: Yeah, but as far as the the trade potential, though, might, might not be as enticing for Detroit, where I don't know that San Francisco would be willing to part with the 12th pick. Mm-hmm so that that might be a little a little rich for their blood to say okay we'll take on an Somewhat aging quarterback, and and pay the 12th pick overall, where there's a real good chance they could get somebody like Kyle Pitts, or you know somebody, whatever, whatever route they go, they're going to get a really good player there, a starter more than likely. That might be a tough one just from the trade, but obviously he would fit in there very well. He can throw from every, any platform, so he would fit in that offense uh, perfectly. The one, the sleeper, the one to, I think, keep an eye on, maybe, is the Rams because they're willing, and I don't know how many picks they've traded most of their picks anyway, so I don't know how they would come up with a package, but they're not really giving a ringing endorsement to Jared Goff in, in any stretch. One, they showed you that the way they kind of used him in the playoffs or the way they talked about him. And then in the postseason, uh, press conferences, whether it was McVeigh or Les Snead, they didn't just say unequivocally, he's our quarterback. Now, I don't know that any of his extension has been paid yet. He's still on his original deal, right? So the four years, $110 million, whatever, the extension they signed him to, I don't know how easy that's going to be to wiggle out of, but I don't think there's any secret that the, that the Rams think that they're a damn good team. They have a great defense. They need a better quarterback. We
1: never see this happen, but can we explore the possibility if the Lions say, okay, we're willing to do it. We've got an unhappy starting quarterback. We're willing to take on Jared Goff. Do you see that as a possibility, one team trading with another for starting quarterbacks?
0: I mean, in your scenario, I would say yeah, I think the Rams would jump at it if they could, if they could just trade, you know, trade contract for contract. But I don't know that Detroit will do that. They've seen him play; they they know that Tate Now, again, they're they want to be a running team, but so are the Rams for the most part. That's a basically a running offense, and they do a lot of bootlegs and and so forth. I mean, unless they, those people are enamored with them. Now, Holmes, I think, who is the GM now? Came from the Rams, didn't he? He did. Brad Holmes. He did. He he I'm pretty, knows that I'm pretty sure he
1: knows that situation pretty well. That that's what I'm right. saying.
0: So I'm guess so I'm guessing he's on board with I don't want anything to do with them. (laughs) whatever is going on with it. I don't I think it's, you know, the whole building is it might be against them. But who knows? Maybe Holmes has a soft spot for him that we don't know about and says, yeah, sure. Why not? That would be a heck of a first move to make as a new GM in a new city, because I don't know that that fan base or really anybody would be on board with that.
1: I'll give you a sleeper team that I think should go after Matthew Stafford. I didn't do my homework on their salary cap situation. I did my homework on the Saints, though. I thought the Saints were a good landing spot for Matthew Stafford, and they have a a late first-round pick. I thought that could have been a possibility. They've got Taysom Hill for mm-hmm. another year. Jameis Winston was only signed for this year, so I assume Drew Brees is going to retire. All indications point in that direction. So I thought Matthew Stafford trade would make sense for the Saints, but they're just in salary cap hell. They have to do a lot of restructuring. They have to cut right. a few yeah, guys. It's just right. it's a major problem. But a sleeper team for me would be the Denver Broncos. They've got an unsettling situation at quarterback, a lot worse than what the Los Angeles Rams have with Jared Goff. They've got Drew Locke, who hasn't proven that he can be a, a starting quarterback in this league. They only spend a second-round pick on him, but there's no way that I would give up a ninth overall pick for Matthew Stafford, and that's what the Broncos have. There's no way i give up that high first-round pick. But I can offer him a 40th pick, get that early second-round pick. I'm sure the Lions... When they realize that they can't get a first-round pick back for Matthew Stafford, they would jump at the chance. I think Matthew Stafford going to Denver, having those weapons at receiver with Judy and Cortland Sutton coming back, and that offensive line played better this year with Garrett Bowles and Mike Munchak has done a great job. Vic Fangio still has a tough, stingy defense. Getting Matthew Stafford in there would make the Broncos like a playoff contender. Uh, a team that could be on the cusp. They will be playing in a tough division out there in the AFC West, and we all know that. But I do think that the Broncos would be a hell of a lot more competitive with Matthew Stafford under center than with Drew Locke.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good one. That really is. More of the top, NFC, or top quarterbacks go into the AFC, and the NFC would lose another one. If they lose Breeze and Stafford the same year, Wow. But yeah, but as far for the player, for the team, absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be a tremendous fit. And maybe, and I mean, they're not going to trade in their first round pick, but like you said, the second, and maybe they sweeten it with another, you know, maybe a, another, a fourth or a fifth or, or whatever, maybe another second round pick the following year. If they're motivated to move Stafford, which obviously it looks like they are.
1: I'm curious. I, I saw a lot of people being up in arms over the Dwayne Haskins signing. But a lot of Steelers fans were just so upset, and I couldn't understand it. I mean, what, did they give up, like, three first-round picks for Dwayne Haskins? Is he going to be your starting quarterback in 2021? I think it's a perfect situation to kind of take a a low-risk player who is kind of on the cusp of trying to prove to the entire world that he can be a professional and he can resurrect his career. He can learn from Big Ben. So from that standpoint, from Dwayne Haskins' standpoint, and from the Steelers' standpoint, this is like a, you know, it's got huge potential, and it's really a low-risk type of signing.
0: Yeah, I mean, no risk at all, quite frankly. I mean, they they bring him in. I, I'm assuming it's probably like a veteran minimum. It's a one-year deal. If he, you know, shows any indication that he's, hasn't learned his lessons as, as a lack of maturity and so forth. He's on his way out the door, and they don't lose a thing for it. So, yeah, and they've, still, they've got Joshua Dobbs in there. I don't know that he's the, he's the future either. At some point, Pittsburgh will have to address the whole situation. We'll see what Big Ben does. But as far as just this as a signing, this is what you do when you're a great organization. You try to find bargains. Again, here comes my bias again, but the Chiefs did it with DeAndre Baker first round pick didn't work out you know for the giants and for many off field discretion's less let's say they bring him in and he actually looked pretty good when he got in there week 17 but then he blows out blows out his knee <laughs> so we may not see him until sometime next year but as far as haskins is concerned you, can't, you know the steelers this is 100% a steeler move and that's why they're always in contention is they do things like this no risk he works out, great. If he doesn't, no big deal. I don't know that they were they're gonna count on him to be Ben's successor. It's just kind of a okay, if he does, great. If not, hey, we didn't lose anything.
1: Well, he's just gonna compete. He's just gonna come in and compete with Mason Rudolph and, and Joshua Dobbs. I mean, those are the the two guys that they have on the roster. I saw that Devlin Hodges was signed by the Los Angeles Rams. He was on their practice squad. So it's just again, if if Dwayne Haskins doesn't work out, in, during the offseason or during training camp, you could just cut him loose, and I think it's a brilliant move, and I was just—I was really reading some of the comments on—mostly on Twitter, and I was really surprised. Like, what are people up in arms with? I mean, what, what's going on here? They— they're not giving up anything and they're not losing anything in this case. I hope the Niners offer a first round pick and offer a Jimmy G for Deshaun Watson. I, I can speculate. <laughs> I can be selfish here. I think we'll, uh, we'll get Deshaun Watson out there and then, um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be fun. I mean, to, to get it rolling, him and Kyle Shanahan, I, I can imagine the possibilities.
0: Yeah, get some of those young quarterbacks out of the AFC. You know, <laughs> get get some get some new blood in the NFC. Yeah,
1: it's all going to be about the NFC, and the and the road is going to be clear for Patrick Mahomes for for many years to come, Lou. So you should be happy about that's this. the goal. Well, that except goal. he has Justin Herbert in the same division, and well, yeah. So that and that's gonna you're,
0: you're a- going to you know Trevor Lawrence, obviously Josh Allen's not going anywhere. Tua may turn into a decent quarterback. You don't know. Joe Burrow will be back. A lot of good young players. That's going to do it, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week to give a preview to the Super Bowl. But as always on the way out, we wish you peace.